bass is the thing who make you dance because everybody is sensitive on the bass. That's Francis Mbappé and in case you haven't already guessed, he's a bass player. And the bass is the thing who make you move. All the melody and this is cool, but the bass, when women or men hear the bass, that make them dance. And that's what today's episode is all about. Hello, Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Today we pay tribute to some of the unsung heroes of African music, the guys in the back of the band making those low sounds. Coming up, we'll speak with some of Africa's legendary bass talents and find out how their innovations have taken the instrument to new frontiers. Plus, a visit from former editor of Bass Player magazine and the Afro-Cuban bass story with veteran salsa sideman Ruben Rodriguez. And of course, we'll hear some of the great bass lines from Africa and the diaspora. All that and more on Beneath the Music, an African history of bass. Before we go any further, let's check out the slippery bass of Alik Machesso, a bassist and band leader from Zimbabwe. The style is Sungura, a music with roots in Congo and East Africa that has long been the best-selling music in Zimbabwe, especially in the rural areas. Here's Wemakonzo.
Les Wizardry from Alec Machesso. I'm Georges Collinet with Beneath the Music, an African history of bass on Afropop Worldwide. Major support for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. Let's begin today with a story from my beautiful bass crazy nation of Cameroon. I started to play bass because I like bass. During all those things, I was thinking about bass, 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 bass. That's our friend, Francis Mbappé. From Douala, Cameroon. Francis belongs to a talented generation of Cameroonian bass players, and the story of how he started out is typical of many of the bassists we interviewed. We didn't have any schools, any guitar shop, whatever. So I had to build my own instrument to play. So I went to see a friend of my dad who was a carpenter, and I told him that I'm dreaming about guitar and I would like to have a guitar. So is that friend built in this guitar. He built that guitar. Now, the question was the question of strings. How are we going to get strings? So the tie of bicycle, you open it, that rubber thing, you open it, you have some wire inside. I put four because I love the bass right away. So I put four strings of those, I tune them up and... I start to hear the radio. I like this part of the story. We had this radio called The Voice of America. La Voix de l'Amérique in French. Hosted by the great Georges Collinet, of course. One, two, three, four. So that radio was very important. You know, it was so important. My father was listening all, all the time. So I was like James Brown and, you know, Wilson Pickett, Marvin Gaye. Well, that's important, but we'll come back to that. Let's speed the story up for a moment. I was in this college and we had a, a band, a college band, and we win a contest, you know, and we were in the newspaper. Things are and going pretty well for Francis, but he has something else in mind. I had this dream when I was young to, to go to America. One day when I was 13 or 14, we decided, my friend and I, to go. To go, to go. So we went. Francis went slowly crosses West Africa, Africa, paying his way with the bass. A few years Kogu, later, Bing, he arrives in Paris. Ghana. At that time, Manu de Bango discovered me. He hear about this young Cameroonian bass player. Just like that, at age 19, Francis was playing with the world's biggest African music star. Now you know. In Cameroon, we have a reputation for being pretty serious about the bass. In Cameroon, we have a tradition to have a very good bass player. And in Cameroonian music, the bass is a little bit on front. That means you have the bass, the voice, almost the same place, or the voice even a little bit behind, and the bass in front. Long Manfred, the first of many great Cameroonian basses working out of Paris, was so good that it became his downfall. Because he was doing a lot of sessions, and I heard that the, some people make him trouble because he was too good, and they break his hand. So you see, to play Makosa, you can't just be any bass player. You have to be very, very good. Here's proof. Problème. 
Ibambemba, Ibambemba, Ibambemba. That was Manu Dibongo with some funky Makosa on Sun Explosion. Before that, we heard an 80s Makosa from Joe Dumbe. The bassist on that track was Alaji Touré, the godfather of Makosa bass. Many of the people we interviewed told us about the special role of the bass in Africa. There's no music, good music without a bass, especially if you're going to play African music, you gotta have a bass. If you hear the uh, music in Africa without bass, you can dance. In Africa, la bass 
elle est très, 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 très importante. Très importante. It's taken a prominent place, no doubt about it. But the interesting thing is that the bass hasn't been in Africa for very long. In fact, the electric bass guitar was only invented less than 60 years ago. To help us brush up on our history, we sat down with a guy named Jim Roberts. Well, hi, this is Jim Roberts. Jim is the former editor of Bass Player magazine and the author of How the Fender Bass Changed the World. And he's with us to tell us, well, how the Fender bass changed the world. How did it change the world? Well, it really had a profound influence on American popular music in the in the late 50s and 60s. The role of the bass pushed music in certain directions and that music really influenced society. Leo Fender of Fender Guitars came out with the first precision bass in 1951. The biggest innovation in a sense was volume. Bands in the 40s and 50s were using the big acoustic bass. You ain't nothing but a and the range of this music was really limited because the bass could only get so loud. When you're playing an upright acoustic bass, which is a wonderful instrument. There are limitations to what you can do, even if you stick a microphone on it, you have all kinds of feedback problems and things like that. But as soon as the electric bass came along, many of those limitations went away. And you find by the end of the, the decade, and certainly in the early 60s, music got a lot louder, and, and the volume gave musicians a new range of, of possibilities. Having a wider dynamic range meant that there was more they could do. There's a, there's a quote in the book from Quincy Jones, the, the record producer, who talks about how when the electric bass came along, it changed everything because it couldn't take a backseat anymore. People thought Leo Fender was crazy at first, but the instrument eventually caught on, especially in rock and roll and what came to be known as rhythm and blues. Then along came James Jemerson. To bring some Remember when Francis told us about learning from rhythm and blues bass players on the radio? James Brown and, you know, Wilson Pickett, Marvin Gaye. Well, he wasn't the only one. If I hear the Motown record, James Jamison, I'll land some of the bass lines. Motown records of Jamison, James Jamison playing. And it's no coincidence that all these great bass players were paying attention to the Motown sound. When uh, James Jamison began to use the electric bass on the Motown records, uh, even though nobody knew who he was or what his name was at the time, those were heard by, by millions of people, and Jamerson was really the first virtuoso of the electric bass. He was an astounding bass player. James played behind everybody at Motown. Marvin Gaye, The Temptations, The Supremes, you name it. He was virtually a prisoner in the Motown studio for years. He was in there recording day after day after day. So he was playing songs over and over and over, doing what musicians do sometimes, which is that you get bored with it, and so you, you start messing around with what you're doing. Traditionally, bass players were there to play something simple to support the band, but James began to play as if he were the star, weaving complex licks throughout the song. Let's get rid of the rest of these instruments so we can hear better. He just opened up both the, the melodic and, and the rhythmic possibilities, and if just, just things that hadn't been done before. As R&B transformed into funk in the 70s, the bass only became more important in American music. One, two, three, and you hit on the one, one, you know, one, you know. And then you would try to fit your different notes, what you felt in between that, like, <laughs> you know, and that's the funk. 
take it from Bootsy Collins, he knows what he's talking about. Many Africans were also hip to developments in jazz fusion. Funk's Rennie stepchild. Fusion players like Jaco Pastorius turned the bass into a bona fide lead instrument. African players were paying attention, especially in Cameroon. In fact, top-notch jazz fusion bass playing is almost a local cottage industry. Michel Alibo, Vicky Dimo, Etienne Mbappé, Guin Sangé, the list goes on and on and on. Of course, one player in particular stands out, Richard Bonin. Some are calling him the best bass player alive. Here's a solo from a live concert in Paris with Mike Stern. playing from Richard Bonin. Of course, not everybody in Africa was taking their bass influences from abroad. African traditions have also provided a rich source for bass players. In Shonam Bira playing, the musician plays a melody, a counterline and a bass part all at once with just two thumbs and one finger. Now listen for a second and see if you can pick out the bass line. Mbira-inspired pop music, the bass players take their parts from those original Mbira bass lines. That offbeat bass feel is essential to the Zimbabwe groove. Take a listen to Thomas Mapfumo's Tongo Sienda.
That was a Mbira-inspired bass from Zimbabwe with Thomas Mapfumo and the Black Sun Limited. The bassist on that track is the late Charles Makokova, the pioneer of Mbira bass playing. Of course, there is one striking example of a pre-colonial bass tradition in Africa. In Morocco, the Gnawa people accompany their ecstatic dance rituals with the gimbri, a three-stringed bass instrument related to the West African Ngoni. heard some old-school North African bass from the Gnawa. Well, we can't possibly cover all the great African basses in one show. To learn more, drop by our website, afropop.org. Coming up, Nguma Lokito, the king of Congo bass players. Also, an interview with South Africa's Bakiti Kumalo, the genius behind the hot bass lines on Paul Simon's Graceland. And a look at the Afro-Cuban bass. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Beneath the Music, an African history of bass on Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Okay, we are back and on our way to Congo. You're hearing the bass of Nguma Lokito. It's a stage name that means power of the bass and it's fitting since he's one of the top players in Congolese music. Call it Rumba, Suku, Zairwa, Kwasa Kwasa or Ndombolo. 
Congo music was undoubtedly the most popular dance music in Africa during the second half of the 20th century. In Congo music, the bass plays like a low guitar, pumping out rapid-fire lines that interlock with two or more electric guitars. I felt that I had to take the sound Nguma says that he took the rhythms of the traditional Congolese drums and transferred them to the bass. And you can tell by watching him play. He picks with his thumb and forefinger as if mimicking the interplay of two drums. Congolese basses sometimes refer to the bass field as marche militaire. The entire society has been deeply influenced by over 30 years of dictatorship, and the bass drums of the frequent military parades were another major reference point for Soukous basses. Let's hear some of Nguma's work with the Soukous stars. Yo, yo, mamá, ah, eh. 
Kuma Lokito from the Suku Stars. Là-bas, la basse, c'est un des Français comme au football. C'est lui qui garde la musique. Nguma says that it's like playing football. The bass is the defense man, the guy who guards the music. Here's a taste of an older Sukus track by Zaiko Langa Langa with a smoking bass part. That was Ma by Zaiko Langa Langa. We've been hearing from some great bass players, but basses, both electric and acoustic, are expensive and until recently were a rare luxury in most parts of the world. However, looking back, there have been some very creative solutions for getting a low end. In the American South, musicians would use a large jug to produce bass tones for blues and ragtime songs. Here's an example of some jug playing on the Jug Band Special by Whistler and his Jug Band. replaced the jug with a one-stringed washed-up bass. In Southern Africa, a comically British variant came about. The tea chest bass made from the big plywood containers used to ship tea. It was also known as the babatoni. You're hearing one right now, behind the penny whistle quera of Donald Kachamba. Sanisi ya zanga kuti ine na zanga 
That's Donald Kachamba. Early sound bands in Cuba also used the jug for bass. It was called a botija. More often they played something called a marimbula. It was basically a big box-shaped thumb piano you could sit on, capable of producing a few necessary low notes. In the 1920s, the Cuban marimbula started to be replaced by the acoustic bass. And that's where our next guest comes in. This is a clown. I'm tapping with my foot. That's the pulse of the music, you know? That's him. Say hello, Ruben. Oh, <laughs> my name is Ruben Rodriguez. I'm a bass player from New York City. Some people come to the bass because the instrument speaks to them on some deep level. Other people, well... It was either music or typing for me. I had a choice, music or typing, so I, I decided to take music. And uh, I wanted to play the saxophone, but they ran out of saxophones. And the one instrument that was always... I was like the big guy in the class. The one instrument that was available was the double bass. And the teacher said, you're gonna play that. I was like, oh no, how am I supposed to pick up girls playing that thing, you know? 300 classic salsa records later, here he is. Ruben is here to tell us a little bit about the Afro-Cuban bass. Well, in, in Latin music, as in all music, the bass is the foundation. You know, everything builds from there. A word you hear Latin bass players use a lot is tumbao. Basically, it's a groove, you know. It's, it's not a pattern per se, you know. You know, the tumbao is a groove between, uh, you know, on the rhythm section, the conga and, and, and the, you know, the, the bass and, and all the percussion instruments, you know. For example, um, one of my favorite, you know, bass tumbaos is uh, one by this gentleman by the name of uh, Evaristo Baró. He used to call him Cuajarón. And uh, to me, one, his pattern, well, how did it go? It was recorded on a Tito Puente record, uh, Top Percussion, it was something like this. The man credited with inventing the modern Cuban bass feel was Israel Lopez, alias Cachao coming from a family that boasted 40 bass players among them and trained in the symphony, Cachao was one of Havana's best players in the 30s. As a member of the famous Arcaño band, he co-wrote a song called Mambo, which jump-started the genre of the same name. Cachao was also one of the innovators of the Descargas, or Afro-Cuban jam sessions. It's like a jam session, basically. There were some records recorded Cuba on the Panart label back in the day. Basically, I heard they were recorded in like people's living room. You know, a guy came around with a recorder, 
and just recorded all these people, you know, doing uh, doing their thing. Cachao may have established the bass as a solo instrument, but he was only the first in a long line of talents. Guys like Sal Cuevas and Andy Gonzalez. But one of the players that really sticks out is Bobby Rodriguez from Tito Puente's band. Cachao, what I do know is that he brought a different approach to to uh, playing in the, in the rhythm section other than, you know, than, than um, he played basically, he was a melodic conga. His style was like, you know, it was basically like drumming on the bass, you know. Whereas Bobby Rodriguez's style was more lyrical, you know, like he was one of the first guys I heard that would spell out a chord. For me, it was, you know, eye-opening. We're going to hear two bass-centric tracks. The first one showcases Cachao's rhythmic genius, and the second features Bobby Rodriguez's melodic solo style. Here's Descarga Cachao. Como mi ritmo no hay dos Como 
That was the great Bobby Rodriguez on bass for Tito Puente's El Bajo. Before that, we heard Descarga Cachao. You're listening to Beneath the Music, an African history of bass on Afropop Worldwide. Remember to stop by our website, afropop.org, where you can read more about the great bass players of the African diaspora. for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and PRI, Public Radio International affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Hey, that clip sounds familiar? Well, it was the famous bass solo from You Can Call Me Al from Paul Simon's Graceland. The album features some of the most recognizable bass playing from Africa. Bakiti Kumalo blended the grooves of South African pop music with the rich tone of the fretless bass. And it was a winning combination. Check out this bass-centric unreleased version of Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. Diamonds on the soles of your shoes. She was physically forgotten, but then she slipped into my pocket with my car keys. She said, you're taking me for granted because I please you. Wearing these diamonds. And I could say, ooh, as if everybody knows what I'm talking about. As if everybody here would know exactly what I was talking about I'm talking about diamonds on the soles of a on aftershave to compensate for his ordinary shoes She said, honey, take me dancing but they ended up by sleeping in a doorway 
By the bodegas and the lights on upper Broadway Wearing diamonds on the soles of their shoes And I could say, And everybody here would know what I was talking about I mean everybody here would know exactly what I was talking about Talking about Simon Classic Diamonds with some super-powered bass. We had a chance to take a little masterclass with the man behind the bass line. And, and this bass line is more like from the voices now. Then I do... But the, 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 the lines, it's from the guitar. You know, like the guitar player was playing. You know, so I took the just a little piece from the... To, to make this line playing. You know, I mean, when I play, I don't think about a lot of notes. I think about singing the song. Since Graceland ignited Bakiti's career, he's recorded with Herbie Hancock, Cindy Lauper, and Shaka Khan, to name a few. But Bakiti grew up in Soweto back in the day, and his roots are straight in Mpaganga. Mpaganga, man, it's, it's the groove. It's like the, the heart of this music. Because it's what gets people dancing. It's what locks in the whole group together playing this kind of groove. And when you start doing these things like you know, it's like you're answering and tell those people, hey, I hear what you say and I'll give you some of my stuff. The original South African bass guru was a man named Joseph Makwela, who played with Mahlatini and the Mahotela Queens and helped define the melodic Joburg bass style. He's the guy who started to play the electric bass in South Africa before anybody. And when we started to hear this music and hear Joseph McQuell, I mean, it was unbelievable bass playing. Uh, the bass line came, came from the a cappella vocals, how you was hearing the a cappella voices, uh, use those uh, bass lines from the a cappella voices to, to the instrument. But uh, Joseph, I think that's what he did, you know. But he never tell anybody because he was like, what do you want to know? We're about to hear some classic Mbakanga. Listen out for those singable Joseph Makwela lines. <laughs> Kisaki ele le tukamakaita mangata, uri pele tongi 
That was Marlatini and the Mahotela Queens with Pellet Song Yale Rato. Well, that's all for today's program. Thanks to Bakiti Kumalo, Francis Mbappe, Nguma Lokito, Jim Roberts, Chip Boaz, and Banning Air for their help with this program. Visit Afropop.org for our accompanying feature. And watch for this program in our on-demand streaming section. Listen again and catch details you may have missed. And tell a friend to listen, too. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Marlon Bishop. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Mike Kaplan and Alistair Sin. Banning Air edits our website, afropop.org. Our producer for new media is Ataneo Fiaggia. And I'm Georges Collinet. There's always a place for the bass. PRI Public Radio International.